Hello and welcome to the 66 to 87 podcast on DK Pittsburgh Sports. I am your host, Tom Reed. We have Taylor Haas here uh, breaking things down this morning. We will later be joined by our other beat reporter, Dave Molinari. And also, uh, in our third segment, we will have national writer and broadcaster Chris Johnson from Sportsnet uh, to talk a little bit about the Penguins and some other issues around the league. But, Taylor, let's uh, look back at last night's game, a 3-1 to loss, which uh, drops the team's record, the Penguins' record, to 5-4-1. and And the, I think the thing that stands out to everybody was the special teams play, 0-6 on the power play. And, um, you know, they, they gave up a power play goal. But let's 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 talk about this power play right now, which is, I think, ranked like 23rd in the league. What's going on with it? Yeah, they're just not shooting. Like that was the biggest thing thing last night. I mean, they went 0 for 6 and in total, they only took seven shots. Um, Those yeah. six opportunities which like they, they just can't be doing. Um, and they know that. I mean, the. Um, Marino, he spoke about that after. Um, and Sullivan, too. Sullivan said that it looks like, um, you know, they're just looking for the better play uh, to appear, and it's not there rather than, you know, just, just taking the shot. Um, and, and I mean, Marino and them, they, they spoke about how they just need to simplify things and get back to a shoot-first mentality in the power play because that's that's been the issue this whole time. They're just not shooting the puck. It's amazing, right? I mean, it, it has to drive fans nuts with that kind of talent mm-hmm. that they have. Uh, and not sometimes, again, as you say, just shoot the puck. Maybe it goes in off somebody. Just get the puck down low, uh, create some chaos and, and score. But man, it was it was such a it was such a difficult thing. And, and, and tonight, as opposed to some of the other games where where they were behind in games, we talked about that. We've talked about how, how they've been behind in games. They had the lead, and I thought they had a chance really to put the Rangers out of the game with a couple of those power plays, and they just couldn't do it, and they let the, let the Rangers hang around and hang around, and then they end up – they are the ones that end up getting the power play goal from Kreider, uh, and I think just kind of a frustrating night. Yeah. Well, and you have to mention that the, the game-winning goal was scored uh, – but when Ruidal was in the box for a puck over glass yeah. penalty, which is just like one of the dumbest penalties, but um, yeah, I mean, just frustrating. And I mean, back to the shoot first, I mean, pe- people keep talking about, you know, like the Penguins don't have a net front presence on the power play and, you know, that's an issue too. But I mean, something Sullivan said last night too, was that uh, if they're not going to be inclined to go to the net, if they're not even getting pucks there. Um, like there's nothing for them to redirect or they're not screening the goalie from anything. If they're not even getting the pucks to the net, I don't know if it's, you know, they don't have any fans. So there's not a drunk guy in section 215 <laughs> getting to shoot it like you normally get at right. PPG Paints Arena for home games or, um, but, uh, yeah, they just got to get it, get it together. Maybe the DVE needs to come out with another, uh, song about this, shoot the puck, shoot the puck. <laughs> Uh, but certainly something, and it's uh, frustrating. And, and we'll get to the fact that, uh, you know, obviously no Crystal Tang last night, uh, yeah. but we're, we'll get to that in a minute. Taylor, the other thing I want to talk about over, we're, we're 10 games into this season, and they lost 3-1 to one last night. Obviously, one of the goals was a empty net goal at the end. But I thought Casey DeSmith was fine. 
which brings to a larger point. I think Casey DeSmith has been fine this year. We came into this season thinking uh, there's no question that Tristan Jari was going to be the number one. Now, two months from now, people may go back and listen to this and say, you guys are dopes talking about <laughs> Tristan Jari's obviously the, the best goalie. Uh, early days, but 10 games in, where are we with the, with the uh, Penguins goaltending situation? Yeah, without getting into like a deep dive on advanced analytics, I guess I can just try to sum it up because it really uh, supports the point. Um, expected goals is a stat that kind of, so, you know, people don't like Corsi because, you know, it doesn't take into account like the quality of the shot or where sure. it's coming from. Sure. Expected goals aims to, you know, make up for that. So it assigns different values to different angles, different quality of shooters, um, you know, just different positions on the ice. And then using that stat, there's um, a stat for goalies that's um, goals saved um, uh, above, like, ex expected goals. So basically, if a goalie has, has a good stat in there, it means that they're overperforming based on the quality of shots that they're facing. And if they have, like, if they're, like, in the negatives, um, then they're underperforming and they're letting in more goals than... Um, the quality of shots sure. you, you'd expect them to. Um, the worst goaltender in the league right now in that area by a significant margin is Tristan Jari. Yeah. Um, and I think it's also worth, worth noting that number two, also by a pretty big margin, you know, drop off from number three is Matt Murray. So <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> you can't say like, oh, they got rid of the wrong guy. When right, sure. They're both underperforming uh, based right. on what they're facing. And again, it's it's ten games in, and also preface it by the fact that that they are just losing defensemen at an alarming rate. Oh yeah, uh, of course. Right. So so let's 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 not bury Tristan Jari here, uh, but it is interesting. And again, early days, but I think you know Casey DeSmith gave him a chance to win last night. It's it's hard to it's hard to fault him. It was hard to fault him on either goal last night. I thought he played well, and I thought he he kept him in there in the third period as long as as they could. And as it turns out, uh, Taylor, that's going to really be the only game we see until till Saturday. The mm -hmm. they were supposed to uh, play the Devils. You were going to be on coverage the next couple nights, uh, Tuesday and Thursday. Yeah. But as we have seen early in this season with some teams with a COVID situation, the Devils will not be able to come here. And my question about this is not just about. The devil's not coming, and the, and the the Penguins really only playing going to be playing one game in the next week. But is this maybe a little bit of a break to a get these guys to have some practice time on the power play, which you just discussed, and maybe a little time to get Latang back in the lineup? And who knows? I don't know if if, if Dumoulin or or, or Pedersen would be ready, but it just give them some time to heal up and practice that power play. Yeah, I mean, what last night Mike Sullivan used the word opportunity a few times to, yeah. to uh, refer to this week, um, meaning that they have a lot of time to practice and figure out, you know, what they're doing on the power play, um, you know, simplify things. Uh, we don't have their practice schedule yet. We don't know when they're going to practice, but I mean, it is a blessing that they're at least going to have a couple days before um, Saturday's game back in New York. And then, yeah, the injury thing too. Um, Letang. Not 100% sure we were told day-to-day, -day, um, but also still being evaluated. So I think he – it sounds like he's the closest to come back, but um, 
we we don't get like uh, further. We're not getting further updates this season on specifics. It, it, the rest of the guys are just either week to week or longer term. But um, Dumlin seems like he might be getting uh, close. Matheson's been skating, um, which could be good. We're again, we were never told what was wrong with him. Uh, still not sure when he's going to be back, but he has been skating, so maybe he's a possibility. But uh, yeah, they just they they need to get healthy. Yeah, and and from our aspect of it, from the reporters' aspect, isn't it when you can't actually when you when you can't like see some of the stuff after games, who's who's kind of healthy, who's in a walking boot, who's not in a walking boot? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it makes it kind of hard for us to tell fans. Boy, he looks like he's getting close. Yeah, yeah, like you said, because you we used to you know if a guy's missing from the locker room or like hobbling around, you could kind of catch them leaving, right. uh, see who's uh, who's struggling. But yeah, we don't we don't get any of that, and uh, they they don't have to tell us. So. Well, uh, we'll, po- we'll power through, and when we come back, we'll be joined by uh, Dave Molinari, who's uh, going to be snowed in. I don't know when Dave's coming back. We may have to send out the DK. <laughs> Uh, sled dog team to come retrieve him but we'll we'll see where we are Uh, stick around uh, for the second segment of 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Sports Radio Welcome back to our second segment here uh, on the 66 to 87 podcast on DK Sports Radio. Delighted to be joined from snowy uh, New York where the Nor'easter is howling and I don't know if we're ever going to get him back uh, from New York City. Dave Molinari. Dave, what's what's the weather like there? How bad is it? Uh, probably worse than you described. If you, uh, you know, if you're planning on sending a dog sled team to get me, make sure they're dogs with long legs, uh, <laughs> because they're talking about by the time this is finished, uh, being somewhere, you know, 20 inches, give or take. So, oh, wow. uh, possibly <laughs> a top 10, uh, snowstorm in New York city history by the time it's all said and done. When I think of uh, uh, sled dog teams, I think of Yukon Cornelius, which then immediately makes me think of Ian Cole. So everything revolves around Pittsburgh. Uh, uh, by the time you get back, we may have more clarity on the uh, search for a general manager. Uh, but I, I just wanted to get your – Dave, start with you, get your thoughts on where we are right now and, and, and also not necessarily who they're going to pick, but who you think – would be uh, among these people that we're hearing the names you think would be a good pick for this job? Well, the, the process is, is just getting started. I, I think it'll, you know, chances are that it'll be at least a few weeks before they uh, settle on, on their choice. Um, and I, I think that uh, determination will be made largely on the, uh, the basis of what they hear in, in the interviews that, that are just getting started I don't know that there's a clear-cut favorite to going into the process. You know, the one guy who might have a, a leg up uh, is Patrick Alvin, simply because he has his uh, foot in the door, uh, you know, as a uh, current team employee. But he doesn't have a lot of experience or maybe even any experience in some uh, facets of the GM job, you know, like uh, dealing with the salary cap. So it's not... Uh, he, you know, he's not necessarily the, the guy to beat. Uh, they've made it pretty clear that the, the priority uh, for, for their next GM, they, they want it to be that he will 
try to keep them in serious contention for Stanley Cups over at least the next few years. And while that's understandable, I guess, uh, given that they have Crosby, Malkin, and Latang all approaching their mid-30s, I don't think they're putting enough emphasis on uh, the rebuilding job that is no more than a, a few years away, if that. And if you were going to uh, pick somebody to uh, be a serious candidate on, on the basis of being able to rebuild, I think uh, they would be well served to look at Ron Hextall, who uh, did an excellent job of building uh, a Stanley Cup champion in Los Angeles and uh, putting together the, uh, the foundation of a team that in Philadelphia that has a uh, legitimate uh, chance of developing into a contender. Uh, that, that's a pretty good uh, resume that, that he has built up in that regard, but he doesn't uh, have any experience, any sort of track record in maintaining a championship level roster or fine-tuning one. So that uh, obviously would be a significant strike against him. Taylor, jump in there. I'm all in on Pierre Maguire. Not really, but I mean, <laughs> a lot of the names, um, you know, being thrown out there have already kind of like pulled out or seem unlikely. I mean, like Scott Mellonby, uh, like withdrew himself. He was, you know, assistant GM of Canadians. Uh, Drury with the Rangers seemed like uh, he might be, you know, near the top of the list. It sounds like they're not going to let him talk. Um, Botterill is another one a lot of people are talking about, but I mean, he just took the job as an assistant GM in Seattle. And uh, we don't know if one that he'd even be allowed to talk or if he would be allowed to talk to the Penguins if he'd want to take the job. I mean, we talked about it last episode that uh, this might not be the most appealing position for, for a head GM job. And I mean, Seattle, they have the opportunity to build from the ground up there. So yeah, it's tough. I don't know if there's any one real uh, standout uh, right now. Yeah, I think to go back to Dave's point earlier, and we did touch on this last week, it is it is such a unique job, and that, that that you're expected to win right away. But uh, you know, the the iceberg, so to speak, is is not that far up ahead, uh, where where you're going to have to go from the mode of, hey, let's try to win this cup now, to hey, we've got to really really get something going here with, with uh, bringing in young guys and we don't have a lot of assets. Things have been traded away. Last point on, on, on this topic, and maybe this is obvious, but I want to hear you guys bat it around. Beyond, the, beyond the, the, the shock factor of this, I think one of the things of, 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 of Jim Rutherford stepping down was the timing of it, right? Because if this was done at the end of the season, I do wonder, and Taylor, you just alluded to this a little bit, if, if the candidate pool changes or, you know, wh where they would go after one name, uh, Dave, we hear, you know, is Fitzgerald in, in New Jersey. And, and can you address the idea of the timing of this and how that's handcuffing them? Maybe the, uh, the, the Penguins a little bit. Well, Tom Fitzgerald, who I think a lot of people probably remember from his time as an assistant GM in Pittsburgh, uh, before he went to New Jersey to uh, join Ray Shiro. Uh, he, he's the current GM in, in New Jersey, and his contract is up after this season. Uh, he would be a logical, serious candidate for the Penguin job, uh, quite possibly even, even the front runner for the job if he were available. But there's not much reason to think right now, now that uh, that the Devils would 
allow him to interview for the for the job, you know, in fact, a job with any team, but especially one that, that's in their own division. Uh, so it, it's kind of hard to see uh, him being uh, viable for, for this position, uh, you know, unless there's a, a radical change in, in his circumstances with New Jersey. Taylor, you agree that this is kind of a uh... – you kind of alluded to it that this is a kind of a difficult time to be going out and finding somebody, especially when the thought is that they are in win now mode. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if this would have happened a couple months ago, they probably would have gotten Botterill. Um, and if it would have waited a couple more months until the next off season, uh, the candidate, you know, more, more would have been available, like you said, but uh it, it just, we talked about, it. I mean, it does, it's not that appealing of a job, you know, if, if you're, if it's going to be your first head GM job, um, they're in win now mode. It, the window is not going to be open much longer. And then when it closes, there's not that many pieces that you have to like try to rebuild right now. Uh, I mean, just, they really don't have that many, uh, great, prospects definitely not many that they could really be afford to moving to move for for assets now and then they really don't have um uh very many high draft picks in in the coming years i mean what will this this next year the first rounder they don't have it they gave it to minnesota in this bucker trade but um it's just yet yeah, it's a tough uh, tough spot to be in dave you wrote an interesting story earlier in the week uh, uh regarding uh the the the, the penguins continually falling behind in games. Now, the good news for the fan base is they keep finding ways to win, especially against the Rangers, who are the youngest team in the league and I don't think are a defensive powerhouse by any means. But I do wonder if this is a, this is a worrying trend, that, 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 that as teams, usually as seasons go on, defenses get better, teams are get better adjusted to holding leads. Uh, is, is this worrisome at all to you, or do you just think that they have the offensive firepower, they can keep coming back in games the way they've done it? Well, it, it doesn't worry me, but, you know, my, my <laughs> job doesn't hinge on them winning hockey games. Uh, I, it certainly should concern them, though, through uh, their first nine games heading into the uh, Rangers game Monday night. Uh, they had trailed roughly half the time in their games and and that's simply no way to consistently put up points i mean they've done a commendable job of, of playing from behind and finding a way to get points most of them you know coming after the uh the end of regulation which also is is no way to uh you know expect to consistently win games um but they, you know they absolutely have to you know stop playing from behind and maybe even actually start playing with a lead occasionally. Now they, they did that three times in New York last Saturday night before they finally got a hold of one that, that, that they were able to hold on to when Sidney Crosby scored in overtime. But, uh, you know, that's it. They, they, they can't fall behind as much as they have through, through the early weeks of the season and expect to have any sort of a uh, successful season. Taylor, this is this may be a little bit before your time, but the, you know the dead puck era that 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 happened in the in the late '90s and early 2000s. If a team won two or three games in a season when trailing after two, that would be a tremendous achievement. It just doesn't happen. It just didn't happen very much back in those days. The, 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 the Penguins have already done that at least three times. They've done it, I think, all three times against the Rangers this year, winning three games. Where, where, where do you where do you stand on this? And 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 does what has to change here? 
First of all, I do remember the dead puck era a little bit. I was going to Caps games uh, in D.C. at the time. Um, I, I remember seeing some pretty high-scoring ones. I know my brother's first hockey game, though, was a 0-0 tie. Um, oh. so, and he's not a hockey fan now. So uh, that that's the effects of that. But but the I think the, the biggest thing, back to what we were talking about, the, the close games the Penguins are playing, um, is that they're – they're winning a lot of these by one goal, a lot of them in overtime or, or shootout, and they're giving away these points to other uh, division opponents, and that might come back to bite them at the end. I mean, uh, we talked about it you know, before this season that this is probably going to be the most competitive division in the league, the East Division. Um, there's really no telling which four of these teams will make, make the playoffs. Uh, it's going to be pretty tight, and if you're giving away – uh, you know, loser points to the Rangers and the Caps, like as often as the Penguins are, I mean, that might be a point that keeps them out of the playoffs at the end. Right. Uh, uh, moving on, Taylor, you and I discussed this last week, and, and it's only the problem has only gotten worse. What's what is going on on the on the defensive core right now? The last time we were talked, Dumoulin was the big name. Now uh, we don't exactly know when Chris Letang's coming back. Uh, with all of this bad karma on the defensive end, one guy that has kind of stepped up has been P.O. Joseph uh, in his first couple games. I think the guy's played five games, already has four assists, looks pretty, 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 pretty good in his own end. Dave, did you see this coming from this kid from what you saw in practice and, and last summer? And, and how surprised are you that he's playing as well as he has? Well, I'm, I'm, Quite surprised, simply because rookie defensemen uh, normally, you know, don't have this kind of a positive impact when when they break into the league. It's it's not as quite as uncommon as it uh, was a couple of decades ago. But I don't think that anybody heading into training camp said that you know in the third week of the season. Uh, P.O. Joseph would emerge as clearly the Penguins' best defenseman to that point in the season. I mean, I don't think anybody even expected him to have uh, gotten a shift in the league uh, by this time. Remember, he was on the taxi squad when the when the season began. Um, I don't think there's anything fluky about what what he's done. He's you know he's a smart player. He he has a lot of poise, especially for for a young defenseman. Uh, you know, there, there's not, it's not that, uh, he, he's a guy who's benefiting from lucky bounces or, or anything like that. He makes smart plays. He makes good reads. Uh, he looks like he's much farther along than, than any defenseman has a right to be at his age. Does it, does it, I'll throw this out to either one of you guys, because you both watched the, the development of, of John Marino last year. Uh, is, are there comparisons? Can you guys compare and contrast his kind of start when he, once he got going? I mean, I, I yeah, I'll jump in here. It's uh, well, I, I'm Dave. You can go. Oh uh, no, I was just going to say we certainly didn't see this or expect this from Marino either. Although at least with him. Uh, we had seen him during a prospects tournament in Buffalo before the regular training camp, and he really stood out there. But you wondered if it was because of the, the level of competition that he was facing. Uh, and, uh, you know, I would have had understandable doubts about whether he could maintain that when he started against NHL caliber competition in camp. 
and even going into that camp, there was very little reason to think that he would make the, the major league roster on the basis of what he did during camp. But he did, and you know he went on to have a season that, that I don't think anybody, including his parents and his agent, uh, would have expected. I mean, it was simply extraordinary. And I, I guess, you know, the, the thing about P.O. Joseph is now that he might end up raising the bar that, that John Marino put it at an incredibly high level just a, a year before him. I, I'm going to ask you this, Taylor. You know, it, we, we, we talk about this, I, I, and I even mentioned, uh, used the word iceberg here, uh, as far as the future. Oh, my gosh, all, all these aging stars. But it does seem as though uh, Jim Rutherford has left a couple of guys here in, in that defensive core. Again, early days for P.O. Joseph, right? We, let's, let's not get too carried away here. But if, if he continues at least to, to, to play the way he has been playing early on, and then you have Marino, that's a pretty nice – that's a decent one-two going into the future, whatever the future holds for these guys. Yeah, I mean, that, that could be – you know, their top pairing for, for, you know, the years coming. And uh, I mean, back to what we were talking about before that, I mean, Marino, um, I, th- I think a lot of us maybe had, we, we just didn't really have any expectations for him because we didn't really know anything about him. They got him for a sixth round pick from Edmonton because he didn't want to sign with Edmonton. Um, and then really surprising camp. But I mean, P.O., because I, I watched him a lot in Wilkes-Barre last year, he's been ready for like a while now. I mean, I talked to, uh, Vellucci in March um, uh, after the AHL season shut down. And he told me that like, he thought PO was ready back in December. Um, wow. I mean, like maybe not quite, quite this ready you know, top minutes and um, everything he's been doing uh, in, in these couple of games. But I mean, he, yeah, he, he thought he was ready to come up as a call up and I, I can't believe they just didn't give him a shot before. I mean, cause he, he does look to be uh, the defenseman, of, of the future, at least on the left side, they really don't have anyone uh, <laughs> else like in, in, in the pipeline who could challenge him for that role. I mean, Maniscalco might be a good, uh, good guy who could come up on, on the right side. But uh, as far as like lefty D now, um, there's really no one else who uh, could step into that role. But I mean, yeah, he is the future. I'll, I'll overstate it. I mean, he's the best defenseman they have and won the Kessel trade. Uh, what he's, he's like a point shy of Phil Kessel right now. <laughs> so. Wow. There you go. Um, <laughs> let, let me, okay. The one thing, of course, obviously we, 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 we joked about this last week about the, the, this, the, the left shot defenseman going down left and right. And you wrote, I think you wrote about this a week or two ago, or at least talked to Marino about it about the challenges of guys having to switch sides. And sometimes I don't know if fans really do understand uh, how challenging that can be when you have to switch from your natural side. And I thought there was a good example of it the other, uh, the Saturday night game where, where Marino is obviously on his offside and is trying to clear the puck out of the zone. And normally that would be easily chipped along the glass and out and he ends up sending it over the glass uh, can you give fans that, that that maybe don't follow the game that closely of how what a challenge that is for especially a young defenseman to to switch sides and, and play on your offside? 
Yeah, I mean, there there are some defensemen that naturally play, like a lefty might naturally play on the right-handed side, but that's pretty rare. Um, it just, e with handedness, it's easier to play, you know, if you're a lefty, you play on the left-handed side. Uh, it, it's a lot of little things, like uh, like you, you mentioned, I, I asked Marino. Um, he said it's stuff, you know, like if, if the puck is along the boards that you're and you, you're trying to play it, you're now playing it on your backhand, which uh, some players might not be that, that strong at doing. Uh, Marino had some experience. He said he did it a little in, in college. Um, I believe he was paired with Adam Fox at Harvard. So, uh, he, he, he was playing a little bit on his offside, um, a little bit last year. I can't remember when he would have done it, but he said he did it very briefly last year. So he has a little bit of experience, but it, it's definitely not ideal. And for, for a young player where, you know, their confidence is such a big thing. I, yeah. I don't think it's great to, to be putting them on their offside, which um, yeah, I, I guess it's, it's not nice that Marino's on his right side now because he's only there because Latang is out. But um, I, that's good for him that he, he gets to play some games on his right side again. Yeah, yeah, it'll be it'll be nice when he can just get back to, and it's playing his, his his normal side. And I'm sure Penguin fans are can't wait to kind of get a a full group of of of, of fully functioning. Uh, right-sided, left-sided defenseman again. Um, we're going to be joined here in our next segment uh, uh, by Sportsnet's uh, Chris Johnson. But I, one more, one more topic before we, we we move on, and that is a guy that has impressed me. And you guys, obviously, I'm coming from Columbus. I saw the Penguins a lot, but not not as much as you guys, Sam. But I did not have, even though it's the early season, I did not have Brandon Tan uh, Brandon Tanif. Uh, tied for second in goal scoring with this team, but I, I've liked, I really like watching him play. He looks like a guy, one of those guys that can really help anchor a third line uh, going forward. Uh, just your thoughts on, on, on the start that he's had and not just the goal scoring, but just the way he plays Taylor. Yeah. I mean, just everything. I know when, you know, they signed him uh, two summers ago, there's concern with his contract. Like it looked like it might be a bad contract in term and money. I don't think anyone's saying that now. I mean, these first few games, uh, he, yeah, he's been one of their best players, both sides of the puck. And just like the energy he brings um, to games and practices. I mean, they call him turbo for a reason. <laughs> like yeah. just um, it, so much energy, the way he moves, it, it's, he's, He's been he's been great, uh, and I mean last year when you know the Penguins were healthy, I mean their their fourth line of um, Aston Reese, Bluger, Tanev was like the only one they kept together the full year, and it's because you know they they mesh so well. Um, but yeah, I just and and anytime any one of them was injured, the, the line kind of suffered. Uh, but I mean like Tanev, yeah, he's he's great, and he's I think he's up there for like their Iron Man streak now because you know Pedersen. Yeah. Is hurt. I think he's like no, number number two on their Ironman streak, uh, which is something to be said. Uh, it's only you know maybe what maybe like eighty games, but uh, that's a lot of longevity for this team. Yeah, and 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 like I said, I think he's someone going forward. And we I, we you and I have talked about this off the air. The need to really kind of start formulating a third a good third line. Uh, which is something I thought this team was really good at when it was winning Stanley Cups a few years ago, and something that's kind of slipped away from them in in more recent years. Um, the <laughs> the other story we, we we're gonna we're gonna end on this segment with Brandon Tanner. I don't know how many people out there uh, watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, uh, the Larry David Show on HBO, but but people that have watched it for a long time will remember one of the best episodes was an episode in which Larry was kind of 
hanging out in the backyard with one of Wanda Sykes's uh, boyfriends. It was his, he, he was a rapper and his nickname was Crazy Eyes Killer. <laughs> and I, I only bring this up because one of the most incredible headshots I've seen in recent years is Brandon Tanif's. And yeah. the first time I saw it, I, I, my wife and I laugh every time we saw it. And I'm like, I wonder if someone's going to come along and just ask him the story behind this headshot, this specific headshot. And lo and behold, our Taylor Haas asked him about this today. And the answer was even better than I could have possibly imagined. Taylor, take it away. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I've wanted to ask him about this for so long. Um, it was tough because we haven't gotten him after a game or, or after practice or a skate uh, since the season started. But yeah, I asked him because I, a week or two ago, his brother, who's on the Flames, was asked about it. And he said he thought um, Tanev saw a ghost. And that's why he looked like that in his headshot. So, yeah, I, I asked him, uh, you know, just his thoughts on his headshot and, and what he saw um, that made him make that face. And I can, uh, I believe I can play the clip uh, right here. Yeah, I did actually see a ghost that was walking behind uh, the gentleman who was taking our pictures. So, Kind of caught me off guard. I haven't seen one of those things yet, so it was uh, pretty rare to to see that, and uh, that's why I obviously had that facial expression. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just his delivery there. It's uh, <laughs> it was so deadpanned, and it it's it, it his it, you know you have to watch the video on the site. Um, but it it's very straight face. He didn't really like break character and smile until the very end, but uh. Yeah, I thought that was great. So, yeah, PPG Paints Arena is haunted. Yeah, I think sometimes <laughs> hockey players, if there is a knock on them, at times they could be very dry with their answers and very cooperative always, but they can be sometimes dry with their answers. And that was just – that was that was gold there, <laughs> th that he would play along with that. And like you said, not, not, not crack a smile. Uh, that's pretty good stuff. All right, coming in our, in our next and final segment, we are going to, as we said, we will be joined by Chris Johnson here on the 66 to 87 podcast. Please stay with us. Back to the third segment of the 66 to 87 podcast on DK Sports. We are delighted to be joined by NHL insider Chris Johnson from Sportsnet. Chris, how, how's things going up in Canada right now? You are, you are you sick of seeing Montreal and Edmonton yet, or you guys just see the same teams every every day? What's it yeah, like? You know, it hasn't really faded. Like it hasn't been too bad yet. I was wondering if it would be too much of a good thing, so to speak, but. Um, you know, so far I, I haven't minded it, you know, what's kind of unique in a way, actually, just because there's at most there's three games a day with this division, there's only seven teams in it. You could pretty much watch all or most of the games if you wish to. And we, you know, we're in full lockdown here, so there's not much else to do. So I think the fan engagement is high. Uh, the emotion's been pretty good. And so, you know, I don't think this will be a forever plan for the NHL, but I think in this one-off strange season, it's going to work. Okay, we'll ask you a little bit more about that in one second. But we can't we can't bring you on here on, on a Pittsburgh podcast and and not ask about the impressions of what's going on in Pittsburgh here. With obviously the big story last week with uh, Jim Rutherford uh, stepping down, the architect of uh, two Stanley Cups in 2016 and 2017, and now the GM search is on. 
what you, you know, this is something obviously you follow closely. Uh, what have you been hearing over the last 48 hours? And are, 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 do you think that they're starting to narrow their focus a little bit? Yeah, I mean, such a strange, unexpected twist. You know, I, I didn't have any idea this would, would happen that, you know, obviously we knew Jim wasn't going to be the GM in, in Pittsburgh forever, but, you know, for him to, to step down in the, you know, the, the early stages of the season was a surprise. I think it caught the organization by surprise. And as a result, you know, here we are not quite a week later. And, and I still think it hasn't completely taken shape, um, you know, the, the GM search. I mean, they're, they're starting to line up interviews. Um, you know, make some some internal lists in terms of candidates that are uh, appealing to them. Obviously, you know, a number of, of people have reached out uh, to the Penguins organization directly to express interest. And so I, I still think that they're in, in a little bit of a getting organized uh, kind of state with this because, you know, doing it during the season presents some complications. I mean, the, the most obvious to me is, is you, you don't get a chance at every single candidate, you know, some – um, you know, some potential candidates for, for a variety of reasons aren't available at this stage of a season in the middle of a pandemic to, to go through this kind of process and maybe become a GM. And so, you know, I think the timing will be interesting. Obviously, the Penguins have, have said they want to do it fairly quickly, you know, try to, to, to get someone in that seat in the next couple of weeks. But, you know, as, as this, this sort of search process unfolds, you know, I, part of me wonders if that'll be possible and if, you know, maybe we'll see it drag on a little longer. But, you know, at this stage, I'm merely projecting because, you know, they, they really haven't gotten it going too much in a, in a formal way. To the to your point right there, uh, in our last segment, um, Dave Molinari, we were throwing out names. And one one name that is familiar here in in Pittsburgh is, is, is Fitzgerald, who, you know, obviously was here. But like you said, he's in a situation where he is the general manager in New Jersey right now. So, do you think that the the Penguins, even if they want to, they, they've expressed they, they want to get somebody in sooner rather than later, do you think that organization will be patient enough to, uh, if, if they feel like, not to put words in their mouth, but if, if, if a guy, if they feel a guy is the right guy, they're willing to wait till the end of the season, even even if that means Patrick Alvin is, is running the show between now and then? You know, that it's a million dollar question because I think, you know, we all recognize if Tom Fitzgerald wasn't employed as a GM in the division or, or for any other NHL team, we'd all be talking about him as the favorite for this job. I mean, you know, just with his history in Pittsburgh, you know, even back to being an assistant coach on the team that won the Stanley Cup in 2009, you know, knowing the, the top players so well, knowing David Morehouse, I think, you know, the, the resume he's built for himself. I mean, all, all those things point to him being the right fit because – you know, let's face it, this is not a normal GM job that someone's stepping into. I, I think, you know, while there will be candidates on this list and, and guys, guys that get interviewed, I think it's a tough place to step into, say, your first GM's job. And, and you know, Tom now is, has gotten that experience in, in New Jersey, you know, after a number of years working under Ray Shero, both in, in Pittsburgh and, and with the Devils. And so, you know, I that's why knowing that he's out there is is what I would call the presumptive number one candidate, but not in a position uh, to, to to have any discussions about this at this stage. You know, I, that's why I wonder if no one really blows them out of the water once they, they go through, you know, starting this week with their, their initial conversations, you know, do they wait? And, you know, personally, I don't see any, any harm in that. I, you know, I recognize it's not ideal, um, but you know, the, these are less than ideal circumstances that the, the entire search has started under. So, you know, I don't have a feel for, you know, what the Penguins 
how they view that. But, you know, if, if they really believe he's their number one and best candidate, I, you know, I would have to think when push comes to shove, they'll do whatever is necessary to, to wait and, and, you know, see if he's available. Taylor, go ahead. You, you had a question. Yeah. Well, I just to jump in there real quick. I mean, cause I, I asked Morehouse and uh, I mean, obviously they want to get it done fairly quickly, but he said no timeline. Uh, and then uh, he was asked, you know, if they go into the trade deadline with with Alvin as the inter, with the interim tag still like does he have full control uh, and he said he does but then also uh, like I don't know Alvin's only been the assistant GM for like a couple months he was the director he's been around a while but he's like the director of scouting so like how um, how does that play like would he be able to make trades during the trade deadline how qualified is he to do that now man tough question to answer mm-hmm. I mean I I do think. I think he he could make those trades, but but let's face it. I mean, trades usually are somewhat of a collective effort. I think what's interesting in in the Penguins front office at the moment is they just don't have much of a hockey operations department. You know, it's it's only a few months ago Jason Carmanos was let go. You know, obviously in recent years they've lost Jason Botterill and, and Bill Guerin to other jobs. You know, now Jim Rutherford's gone. I mean, it, what what was a pretty experienced front office. Um, you know, doesn't doesn't have a lot of bodies now. Doesn't have a lot of people with input. And, and as you mentioned, Patrick Alvin, you know, his his background is in amateur scouting. Uh, certainly, is is no stranger to the hockey world and and evaluating talent and things like that. But you know, I think dealing with with the the, the other general managers, the other teams, going through those kind of negotiations. I mean, you know, you, you'd prefer to have someone to lean on, and, and there's just not a lot of people in in that front office that have that that experience. So. Uh, it, it would be, I think it would be a very hard trade deadline. I think the other thing we have to consider here is I, I don't think this will be a normal trade deadline either. I mean, in a, in a shortened season, there's not going to be that many teams that are out of it uh, as we get into April when the trade deadline approaches. I, I think with some quarantine related issues, you know, due to the pandemic, we, we just probably won't see as many players moved around the league because it, it, it comes with, you know, further complications than normal. And so throw it all together. I mean, this, this is, there's a lot in the Penguins, you know, on their plate here. And, and I think that's why you see Mario Lemieux, you know, taking an, an active role uh, in the interview process. And I think probably even in things like trades where we're maybe in the past, you know, certainly when Jim Rutherford was there, you know, I, I don't know that, that too much got to the owner's desk before, you know, some trades were consummated. So, um, you know, that's why it's ideal probably in a perfect world to, uh, get someone in there quickly and, and to bolster that front office, you know, potentially with multiple hirings. Um, but this isn't an ideal time as we all know. And and so I'm not sure if they're going to be able to pull that off. Yeah. Morehouse did say Mario is, is uh, Alvin's backup for now, which is uh, just interesting <laughs> that, you know, pretty good line mate, I guess. <laughs> yeah. 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 Morehouse said he thinks he'll be fine, but um, uh, Ron Hextall is a name that a lot of people are throwing out. How serious do you think he is as, as an option for, for the job? Well, I personally, I think he's a great option. I mean, the, the, the team that's been in Philadelphia, I mean, there's been some moves since he left, but I think, you know, he oversaw kind of the transition phase to, 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 you know, see that organization be in a better spot, um, you know, did a, did a nice job, I think, actually of managing his assets and, and bringing younger players in. You know, I'm not sure that's what Pittsburgh wants to do right now. I mean, certainly their stated goal publicly is to, you know, con- continue to try to build around the, the, the generational players they have. And I, I, do, I do think that makes sense. But just with, with Ron's experience, both in L.A. prior to going to, to Philly and then the time with the Flyers, 
you know, I, I think that that he's probably among the most qualified candidates that makes sense that could be hired tomorrow that that you know are available and and free to to have these discussions and, and to enter into that kind of job. You know, you guys live in Pittsburgh or have a, have a better sense of the market. I don't know if there'd be much pushback on on hiring someone who's sort of known as a, a flyer. Uh, but to me, if we're just talking about you know straight up uh, qualifications and, and experience level and and uh, aptitude, you know, I think you know Ron Hextall would be a great choice for them. Maybe only Robbie Brown because he chased him around and tried to behead him. <laughs> uh, oh, you want to win, right? No matter how you get there. <laughs> hey, well, so, so you you kind of uh, kind of alluded to this earlier, but could you see a could you see a scenario where they were to bring in the kind of a president of hockey operations first? And maybe let Alvin, you know, kind of finish out the season, see what, see how he does, and then maybe at the end of the season, then then with more experience on the on the on the team, uh, go about hiring a GM in the off season. Again, I'm not is is that a plausible scenario? It, and it would add some more uh, another voice in that room, so to speak. The way I put it is this. I think they're likely to make more than one hire here. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if that's going to be bringing in a GM and then someone under the GM, you know, maybe another assistant GM or someone in, in a role that way. I think it could be kind of the more president of hockey ops uh, role with, you know, with the GM reporting into that person. You know, I, I think that you have to be um, open-minded, especially again, under the, the unusual circumstances where, a week ago at this time, I don't think too many people thought Jim Rutherford was about to step down. You know, even people with direct knowledge of the inner workings of the organization, um, you know, but, you know, so I, I do think that, that maybe it, I don't get the sense they're fixated on exactly what the structure looks like, but, the, but, you know, maybe open to the idea of, of bringing multiple people in. And, you know, I, I almost feel like you might have to do that in concert. You know, mm -hmm. you know maybe okay. it's, maybe it's a, a president first, but, but, you know, I don't know if that would be the, the correct way to go about it. I mean, this, this is such a, it's funny that the, it's like, you're peeling an onion here. Like the more I get into it and put my mind around it, it's just such a strange set of circumstances, especially because we're not talking about a rebuilding team. I mean, usually, usually when teams are replacing a general manager, it's because they're, you know, they're, they're ready to, to scrap everything and they've had a, a long run of, of lack of success, you know, that that's not, you know, necessarily the, the case in Pittsburgh. I know no one's, happy with the last couple of years, the way that they've ended. But, um, you know, this is a team very much built to win in the moment. And so I, I do think it's important to to get people in there that, that can make decisions to allow that to continue to happen now. So, um, you know, I, I do think that it's a, it's a light front office, probably one of the lightest in, in the league right now, just in terms of experience and, and people working important jobs. And so they're probably going to need to hire two two spots as part of this this whole process. It's it's also tough, I mean, because they really don't have that many pieces to to used to add I mean like prospects and picks like the cupboard is very bare um so I mean if you know a new GM is going to come in and look to maybe add pieces there there's really not a whole lot that they could move out to make that happen right and and it, it presents an interesting scenario because you know maybe you're talking about trading some some of the players that are still effective to a certain degree I'm not even remotely hinting at the big names but but you know some of the the more middle tier players you know that that might be the only way to get it done um, you know, the, the number of trades is not an issue in Pittsburgh. Uh, Jim, certainly Jim Rutherford made a lot of, <laughs> made a lot of moves during his time there more than any of his, his colleagues, certainly over that same period. Um, you know, but you're right. I think it's going to take a, a bit of a creative approach because, you know, and I think the organization, frankly, 
should be applauded for the way it it has handled the last number of years. Even you can't you can't put a banner up every season, but the fact that they've been all in on all those years and and you know making moves to try to win, you know, I I, I like that, you know. But but there's a there's a cost to it, of course, and and part of that is that they just don't have a prospect covered that that has that many. Uh, promising players in it um, because they, they've either traded the picks or traded the prospects after drafting them. And, you know, they, they've, they also don't have their first rounder coming up now. So, um, you know, it's, it's not, an, it's not an easy thing to do, you know, plus the salary cap considerations, but, you know, that's why I guess that this week is really important too, because part of what you're doing during these interviews is you're getting to know the, the people you're interviewing well, but you're also hearing their plan and, and, you know, whoever's hired to, to take this general manager's job, you know, I think it's going to have to be creative to find ways to to make deals that, that that set the organization up a little better. Right, Chris, we'll get you out of here on this question. Uh, your thought, you know, we've seen a lot of these two game sets where where the where the team Rangers come in for two games. Uh, they're right now finishing the last night finished up a two game set uh, with New York. They played Boston twice. What are your What are your thoughts about how they're doing in this? And is this something that potentially? something the league could maybe take going forward as far as trying to help travel costs, especially when you get with those teams out West that have to make those long trips, Chicago having to go out to San Jose a couple times a year. Is this something you think the league might think about uh, going forward? Yeah, this we're definitely going to see a version of this in, in the future, no matter how the divisions are aligned, no matter how the format is, I can guarantee you we're going to see more and more of, of, you know, teams playing multiple games at, at the same time. I mean, We've even got some three-game sets built in, um, and you know it's actually was included in, in the the league and the players part of the negotiations they had back in June to to restart the the playoffs and, and get the the bubble in. You know the players asked for this, and and the league granted it. It's it's in writing that they have to seek to do this where it's possible. You know I, I think that the the players see a lot of benefit from not not flying as much. You know. Obviously, after the first game, you can just go back to a hotel, you know, pretty close by and, you know, be in bed sooner than, than always flying on to the next destination. So I think it's better for their bodies. It's certainly uh, cheaper than than flying the charter planes all over the, the continent as frequently. And, you know, I, I do think that when when fans are in the building in a more meaningful way league wide, you know, I, I don't think it's the worst, you know, the worst thing. You're going to see a little bit more emotion in a lot of the second games just just by nature of, of this happening. So. You know, it's it's not going to be the whole season in the future. It's not like everything will be two, 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 two. Uh, but but you're going to see a lot of it uh, because I do think it, it it just ticks boxes for the owners and the players, and they're committed to to keeping this uh, beyond the 2021 season. Chris, so thanks so much for taking some time today uh, to to talk with us. Uh, Chris Johnson, tr- tremendous work. Make sure you follow him, watch him uh, on on Sportsnet in Canada. Uh, thank you so much for, for joining us today. And that's it for us uh, uh, this afternoon on the 66 to 87 podcast uh, for Taylor Haas and snowbound Dave Molinari. I'm Tom Reed, and we'll talk to you next week.